Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Bosk. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And we are moving and moving while doing it. <laughs> so, welcome listeners to Campfire Classics. I am happy to report that after two weeks of you being forced to listen to nothing but me, we have a co-host back in the studio. And by back in the studio, I mean um, hours and hours away in Connecticut, back in the Zoom call. <laughs> Hi, Emily. How you doing? Hello, Ken. I am, huh, I am, um, I'm well, and I'm a bit scattered today. <laughs> <laughs> today is a little bit of a kooky day. That sounds like a good energy to uh, to bring into this particular podcast. What's yep. making you kooky? Yeah, exactly. Well, well, it's a it's a central conflict in my life. I am a theater person and a night owl by nature. Okay, this runs in my family. My grandfather was an actor. He would you know stay up late, like he would come alive at night and he'd come home all buzzed from his shows and like he was up late, you know. My dad's the same way. If we had our way, we would go to sleep at 2 a.m. every night, wake up at 10, get our eight hours in, and start the day at 10 a.m. So that's my natural state. So I'm <laughs> very often on TikTok until 2 in the morning. But then uh, my favorite like, non-acting job is nannying. And I just started nannying with a very cute little four-month-old boy who I'm very excited about because he's just, like, Aww. a little, like... He's just a little, like, chubby, just a little ball of happy and warm. And <laughs> just, oh, I love him. I love him. So I uh, today was my second day of work at this new house with this new family. And, you know, they're babies, so they're up early. <laughs> so I have to leave my house at... Um, five to eight to get there by eight thirty, so I could watch him for nine hours, and uh, so I did that today. And then I came home, and uh, you were like, "Hey, let's record this podcast at a certain hour." And I said, "Yes, absolutely." And then I fell asleep. <laughs> took a nap. Yeah, I remember that part. <laughs> took a nap way too late today. I was so tired from staying up till two and then getting up to nanny at eight. So I'm sorry that you are experiencing the fallout of my circadian rhythm being completely Which messed up. That just that that explains why it's now an hour and forty minutes later than I was planning on getting <laughs> yeah. this going. I'm That's so all right. sorry. It'll be good. I've gotten used to staying up late recently as well. <laughs> uh, I am right now in the process of finishing up the Beatles documentary, Get Back. Ooh, I never saw which that one. I've been, which I've been watching until 2 o'clock in the morning most of the last few nights. Yeah. Uh, it's the one that just came out, like, a couple of months ago. Oh, cool. Uh, it's it's all about them recording that that concert up on the roof for the Let It Be mm. album. You know, yeah, I, I know I'll, I'll probably get a lot of hate for this, but it's not... I just, I don't know enough of the Beatles' discography to get what the thing is about them that makes everybody like they're the greatest ever in the history of the world. But I need to just listen more. 
Because I'm curious. I'm like, what is this magic thing that everyone's talking about? That's fair. I think more than uh, being the greatest ever, it's it's about the influence they had on music. That's true. Um, but this is not a Beatles fan cast. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> although I could go on at length and have, although not here, uh, about um, what makes the Beatles so interesting and influential. But I won't, because that's not what we do there. Do mm. there. You there, there. Words are hard. Oh Words are hard. English is getting hard. Uh, <laughs> because what we do here at Campfire Classics is read short stories from yesteryear, and we read them cold for you, dear listener. Cold read in theater parlance just means we read them sight unseen. We read them for the first time and have never seen them before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we get to do a lot of things like improvising character voices and uh, looking up words and laughing at things that are accidental sex jokes from 60 years ago Uh, (laughs) in stories that are in the public domain. And we choose public domain stories because um, it's the best way to avoid getting sued by authors. Correct. But before we start these stories, uh, I like to give a few little fun facts about usually the authors, sometimes about something related to the story. If the author is, um, someone we've covered at length before. However, this week we have a new author, and I say new author, I mean, of course, new to Campfire Classics, just someone we haven't read before. Uh, So we're delving into the genre of uh, pulp fiction sci-fi, which is something that we've done a bit of uh, on this podcast before. Uh, That's our genre this week. Uh... And yeah, uh, like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a few few little facts about the author, um, but there isn't really a ton of information out there about this guy. Uh, Paul W. Fairman was a writer and editor who worked largely in the pulps, writing stories in science fiction, fantasy, detective, western, and horror genres. He served as the editor for the magazines Amazing Stories and Fantastic, and he founded the magazine If, which was a major publisher of science fiction pulp short stories. Uh, His stories have been adapted into film and television since the mid-1950s with cinematic classics like Target Earth and Invasion of the Saucer Men. And... The Saucer Man. And his short story, Beast of the Void, was the basis or inspiration or predecessor or whatever word you want to use for the novel and subsequent box office flop starring George Clooney, Solaris. This guy's had 15 novels and dozens of short stories written to his name, although actually many of them were written under pen names. Uh, And like many of the writers during this time and in this genre, he didn't really seem to care about copyright, probably because he was a dirty communist who didn't care about strong American values like money and making money and making sure other people can't make money off of his own work. Meaning the bulk of his work, even though it was published in the 50s, has already entered public domain. And that is basically everything I could find online about Paul W. Fairman. He seemed to have just been one of these people who kept his head down, wrote his stories, published other people's stories, and, uh, and that was enough for him. Cool vibe. Yeah, he was just doing his thing. 
And he yep. said, you know what? You all can read it. It's fine. <laughs> I don't care about copyright. It's fine. I don't care. Just do your thing. I'm just writing stories. I love that. But you know, I feel like sometimes if an author has a very drama-free life, that frees them up, or like a very stable life, it frees them up to write really crazy stories because they want to like get all the excitement they don't get in life through the writing. Let's see. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, (laughs) I have no idea. This week's story, uh, you'll be reading a story published in the June 1956 edition of Imagination Stories of Science and Fantasy. The story is called Dalrymple's Equation. (laughs) Let's start this fire. Dalrymple's Equation by Paul W. Fairman. It's... This sounds like something dirty. <laughs> Dalrymple. Well, or like doll pimple. Well, <laughs> my first impression was more wholesome. I thought like a dimple. Like a little dimple in someone's cheek. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a dimple man. <laughs> the dimple man's equation. Yeah. Let's see. Or there's something a little Rip Van Winkle. Yeah, or, rump- or Rumple. The Rumple makes me also think of Rumple Stiltskin. It's very um, f- folky, folktale-y. Yeah. But he's a mathematician, apparently. Well, if he has an equation. Yeah, let's see. All right. Enough speculating <laughs> on zero information. Although sometimes I, I enjoy playing that game when I'm looking at a new, either a new story or a new script. I'll do yeah. this sometimes where I'm like, what do I know about this story? Yeah. All I have is the title. Okay, yeah. what can I what can I gather from that? Right. There is a person with a very strange name, possibly a not human name. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and probably something mathy. Yeah. What was- <laughs> what was the story actually called where when I sent you my audio file for editing, it, I titled it Sexual Goat Auntie? <laughs> I, and I, I can't remember what that was actually called, but that should have been the real title. I don't remember what that was about. I don't either, but that should have been the real, the real title of the story. <laughs> I, just, I don't remember. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I've got. Uh, I have now close to eighty of these stories floating around in my yeah. head. I'm. I'm lucky if I can remember the title of the one we're reading right now. <laughs> well, it's Dalrymple's equation. Let's read it. <laughs> it's the not knowing that gets you, wondering, thinking sometimes one way and sometimes the other, but never knowing for sure. Being suckered is bad enough, but wondering whether you've been suckered is rougher. Or whether you've let the biggest thing since fingerprints slide right by you. <laughs> and that's like Fred. <laughs> fingerprints. Okay. Fingerprints? What? 19, oh, no. 1956. So were fingerprints the biggest thing since sliced bread? I guess they were in the scientific community. Yeah. Sorry, Brad. Also, I just need to make a comment on getting sucked rougher. That's all I need to... That, I think that's the whole joke. Wow. Something about a rough sucking. Yeah, well done. Thank you. <laughs> Technically, it's a rough suckering, but you know. <laughs> I know. I j- it. Just let me have this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Someday, the case may be solved. Then we'll know for sure, one way or the other, Donovan and I. What case? 
Wait till I tell you. It won't take long. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Okay, great. <laughs> I like that right off the bat, he's at least saying, don't worry, this isn't going to be one of those Dickensian long stories. I'm right, not getting right. paid by the word here. Right. <laughs> the thing started with as crazy a murder as two homicide cops ever got called in on. Okay. <laughs> so no, I don't, opening. I don't think this will be short, yeah. In a bar on 10th Avenue near Grand, you probably know the place, and you probably read about the case. It was in all of the papers, but the whole story never saw print. We were rung into it by a call from the squad car boys who got there first. We walked in, and a cop I didn't know pointed a thumb at a young guy lying with his head on the bar and said, Deader than a lamppost for my money. <laughs> A very sensitive oh, cop. That is a lamppost. <laughs> right. A young lad, around 23 or 4, lying there as though he'd had one too many and was sleeping it off. He had down one too many, and he would spend all eternity sleeping it off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're a funny guy, huh? Okay. All right, all right Paul W. So Fairman. This, guy, this, this, dude, this dude definitely has the delivery of, um, like... Uh, one of those, like, the, the hard-bitten noir detectives. Uh-huh, exactly, you know, the, exactly. The sort of, oh, I knew she was trouble the moment she walked, walked through the door. the door, yeah, exactly. It was raining that night. Of all the bars, she had to come yeah. into mind. <laughs> Deader than a lamppost. Right. <laughs> Is a lamppost more dead than a fence post? I don't know. I. Well, you would argue it's got light. Like, the spark of life is in it. So I would say it's less dead than a fence post. A fence post is just there. Yeah. Right? Also, a lot of fence posts are, like, chopped down trees. So at least a fence post was True. once alive and isn't anymore, whereas a <laughs> lamp post was never alive. So how can it be dead? True. Wow. Unless Deep. it's a wooden lamp post. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you were foisted by your own petard there. <laughs> This has been Deep Thoughts. With Ken Sandberg. <laughs> All right, you keep reading. I okay. am going to eat this brownie. Oh, jealous. I want a brownie. Can you send one through the internet? I would like one, yeah. please. Here, here you go. Okay. I'm pushing it through the microphone. Great. Can you taste it? Oh, yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> I'm so nope. sorry, listeners. Everyone knows how much that's, we... Everyone loves mouth sounds on the mic. That's... That's that Domino's cookie brownie. Oh, my God. That sounds good. Oof. Okay. So back to this wise-cracking gumshoe. <laughs> uh, so a young lad around 23 or 4 was lying there as though he'd had one too many and was sleeping it off. He had downed one too many, and he would spend all eternity sleeping it off. He was all through. The barkeep stood there with his apron hanging out and a baffled look on his face, a look that had all the earmarks of being genuine. I said, Kennedy, homicide. What happened? The barkeep shrugged and licked his dry lips. I don't know. He just keeled over. I got scared and called the cops. <laughs> so it sounds like your detective is from Chicago and your bartender is from Boston. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> That was totally specific and on purpose. <laughs> great, great. Yep. I just wanted to be sure that I had that right. Yeah, I think because I sense that the Boston versus Chicago rivalry is going to factor in and be very important later in the story. Great, 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 great. 
we got we got Nick Miller and Noma Gassiapara. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, the kids certainly look like a morgue job, as I said, but we don't take things like that for granted. The squad car boys had called General Hospital, and now a couple of interns came in with a respirator. They didn't use it, though. One of them put his nose close down to the kid's mouth and then looked at the barkeep. You served him a drink? The barkeep. Why did I make this young EMT sound like a grandma? Why did it's I do that? Late. It's, it's too late. It's too late. I, I have to commit That's now. I have to commit. Damn it. He sounds like the duck from my duck walks into a bar joke. <laughs> you have a, or what's that other one? The one you, about you, the drink. You sure? Yeah. You serve him a drink? Excuse me, sir. Do you have any popcorn? Oh, I love, yeah. I love it. Popcorn. Sounds, sounds, sounds like, sounds like the duck from my does. Duck into a bar joke. Yeah. All right, that's who he is. So the kid said, "You served him a drink." The barkeep nodded. That's what he came in for. Let's see the bottle. The barkeep gave that a little thought and then took a bottle off the rack and pushed it over the bar. The intern sniffed it, made a face, and said, There's enough arsenic in there to depopulate New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> arsenic, the barkeep croaked. You're crazy. We don't serve nobody no arsenic here. The intern looked at Donovan and me. Who's Donovan? Have we heard of Donovan yet? Okay. Yeah, whatever. Donovan. Donovan. Oh. Donovan is the narrator's partner. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Oh, I don't even know my own partner. Sorry. Okay, I'm a mess. So, God, you know Donovan. You two go way back. I know you're right. I'm I'm with him on the streets every day. <laughs> the intern looked at Donovan and me and said, "Call you meat wagon, lads. This one is beyond us." <laughs> Oh, God. It's the voice. He's so sweet. <laughs> I love the intern. Call the meat wagon. Uh, oh, oh God. yeah. This, this good. No, this guy's dead as fuck. Are you my mother? <laughs> oh, God. Are you my mummy? <laughs> he had identification, an Arthur Davis, with nothing at all sinister in his wallet. The lab men came, and there was a lot of activity for an hour or so, and then we padlocked the joint and took the barkeep downtown with us. His on-the-spot story was simple. I lost the voice. Davis had come in and ordered a drink. The barkeep served it up. Davis knocked it off. The drink, in turn, knocked Davis off. Okay, he's clever. <laughs> barkeep's, got wordplay. Yeah. The barkeep's name was Timothy Garver. He was a middle-aged cork puller who had been in the business most of his life. We ran him through R&I and found him clean. Then we sat him down in the inter... R&I. Um, Research and interrogation. Maybe? Hang no, on. we ran him through R&I. It sounds like a computer. Like, we ran him through our system. Our yeah. database. I'm guessing... What is R&I? Remove and install. Nope. R&D is research and development. Risk and insurance. Remove and install. Restructure. Research and innovation. Radio investment. Radiology and imaging. Receiving and inspection. Ah, Records and Identification Bureau. There you go. That's it. I found it. 
Nice. There's this whole long list of oh, yeah. um, <laughs> things that R&I could stand for, depending oh, wow. on what you're talking about. <laughs> but in law enforcement, yeah, it's records and identification. Love it. All right. We ran him through R&I and found him clean. Then we sat him down in the interrogation room and started digging into him. What did you have against Davis? Garver looked like a flabby-jowled ghost. <laughs> Savage. His hands shook. Nothing. So help me, I never seen the guy before. You think we'll swallow that? Donovan asked. You think you're playing with school kids? Telling us you poisoned a guy you never saw before? I said, maybe he did it for laughs. I didn't poison him, Garver pleaded. You gotta believe me. You mean there wasn't any poison in that bottle? Sure there was if you say so. What I mean is, I didn't put it in there. I didn't know it was there. I... What you mean is, you'd planned to get the guy out into the alley after he was dead, and you lost your nerve after he keeled over. No, no, nothing like that. You had that bottle spiked, waiting for Davis to come in. No, no, it was just an ordinary bar bottle. What do you mean by that? Every tavern has a brand of whiskey they push. They're bar whiskey. When a customer isn't particular about his brand, we give him the bar liquor. It seemed to me the guy was gaining courage. He wasn't quite as nervous as he'd been. You served other people out of that same bottle, I asked. He licked his lips and dropped his eyes before he answered. Sure I did. But that was before you put the arsenic in it. I didn't put any poison in that bottle, and you guys can't pin this on me. What makes you think we can? Because I never knew the fellow, and I can't prove I did. No, that's wrong. Because I never knew the fellow, and you can't prove I did. That's, that's, the uh, one. that's important <laughs> so how are you going to make anybody believe I killed somebody I didn't know and had nothing against you think I'm nuts or something it's a possibility I said <laughs> okay alright <laughs> Donovan narrowed his eyes at Garver and said you're holding something back come on out with it again that guilty look as Garver shook his head but you can't send a guilty look to the chair, and it seemed Garger had us stymied, at least for a while. Huh. <laughs> All right. We jugged him on suspicion, but we knew unless we got something else to strengthen the case, we wouldn't get an indictment against him. There just wasn't enough. Donovan and I chewed it over with the captain, and he couldn't give us any help except the advice to keep plugging. We told him we'd try to come up with something and went on back to the tavern. The owner had been there and gone, and we still had a patrolman stationed in front. Donovan unlocked the door and released the patrolman for his regular beat, and we went inside. It was very quiet, naturally. Nothing is quieter in this world than an empty bar. Oh, <laughs> that's a pretty eloquent observation. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I'll tell you what is a very quiet place that isn't a bar is... Um, the uh, Christmas Village anytime after New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah. Similar energy. Like, the party has come it's, and gone. and It's creepy. Ghost town, yeah. <laughs> oh. um, having, having walked through the Macy's Christmas Village a time or two after we shut it down for the season, it's quiet in a way that is not peaceful. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, up, that's upsetting. creepy quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All the little animatronic dolls just... Standing <gasps> motionless? No. Oh, no, 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 absolutely not. 
No, I'm so afraid of those things. With with the like uh-uh. the, the sort of creepy half work lights going. And, yep. Oh no, yep. it is no good. <gasps> Have you ever seen that Nicolas Cage movie where the animatronic like gigantic things in the restaurant come to life and they try to kill him all night? It's very scary. <laughs> It's my worst nightmare, basically. I haven't seen that one, no. But um... I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. So he said, well, where do we start? Donovan shrugged. You got me. And you know damn well nothing's going to happen on this case until it breaks from the outside. That's right. What he meant was a new angle coming from a stoolie. <laughs> a stoolie? <laughs> That's someone who's at the bar all the time. The drunk. Stooly, uh, I think stooly as in stool pigeon as in snitch. Oh. I believe that's what that slang is. Wait, Hang I have, on, I'm going to look it up. I have heard the word stool pigeon, and I always thought that meant a drunk because, like, I thought it meant someone who hangs out on the bar stool. No? Nope. Oh. Stooley, short for stool pigeon. Stool pigeon, a police informer. <gasps> uh, someone who acts as a decoy. You're blowing my mind right now. A, a snitch. Oh my God. In my a street informant. In my 30 years of life, I had this all wrong. I, uh, this is a revelation. Look at that. Edutainment. Yeah. Edutainment. Stool, <laughs> stool pigeon. <laughs> wow. Okay. So. Stool pigeon. Not popular amongst the criminal underworld. These are the guys who get stabbed. I guess guess so, but Donovan and I are hoping for one. Yeah. I wonder if the dead drunk was a stoolie, and that's why he got poisoned. Oh, could have been. Let's see. Although we still don't know who Dalrymple is or what his equation is about. Yeah, no, not at all. All right. Just a bunch of guys arguing and drinking (laughs) (laughs) with accents that come and go. (sighs) Another Thursday. (laughs) Okay, so Donovan says, you know damn well nothing's going to happen on this case until it breaks from the outside. That's right. What he meant was a new angle coming from a stoolie or something opening up while we investigated Davis's background or Garver's. But something new was added right there in the tavern. Very suddenly, a guy popped up from behind the bar and said, hello. (laughs) I went for it. I said, go big or go home. Go big or go home because, because you know what's about to happen. We whirled around and looked at him, and Donovan snorted, Who the hell are you? My name is Tennyson Dalrymple. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> he appeared. Yep. And he's um a goblin, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> what kind of a label is that? The man came around from behind the bar. I liked it. I took it. If it annoys you, I'm sorry. But you can tell by the sneer on his face that he wasn't sorry at all. (laughs) (laughs) He was a medium-sized, unattractive figure of a man. (laughs) And yet you couldn't put your finger on just where the unattractiveness came from. It wasn't good-looking, but neither was he repulsive. He didn't have a Superman's frame, but neither was he a cripple nor a malformed freak. There was just something there was something about him you took an instant dislike to, and the dislike stayed with you. So he is he is an inverted Benedict Cumberbatch. Right. Right. With like a very punchable face. Right. Because you look at Benedict Cumberbatch and you're like, that is I don't know why, 
There's nothing about this man that should be attractive, but, but I love him. Attractive man. Yeah, but I love him. This this guy is mm-hmm. the opposite. There's nothing about him that should be unattractive, but yep. I just want to throttle him. Dalrymple seemed to enjoy increasing the antagonism. He wore a habitual sneer, and his voice had a cutting quality to it. There you go. I was right. I was right. Good yep. instincts. Good instincts, Emily. I said, what the hell are you doing in here? Going about my business. Entrance is prohibited. There was a policeman in front. The door was locked. There's a back door. Well, that was locked, too. Locks are silly things. Any fool should be able to handle such feeble devices. <laughs> love this guy. I love it. Donovan was snarling. Look, brother, you're talking yourself right into trouble. Now tell us what you're doing here and tell it quick. Reading the gas meter. <laughs> why? Well, why would anyone read a gas meter? I work for the gas company. This place is on my route. I think you're lying. It will be easy enough to find out. We'll find out at headquarters. You're taking me in? What do you think? Dalrymple certainly wasn't afraid of cops. He shook his head in disgust and said, This is certainly a stupid world you live in. A world of idiots. Really, it is. <laughs> now, normally I'm pretty easygoing, but this punk with his talent for rubbing people the wrong way, he just plain got to me. If you're so damn smart, why are you reading meters for the gas company? He grinned, and his grin said he was happy at getting a rise out of me. I just arrived recently. The job will do until I get around to what I'm planning. That's <laughs> ominous. I know, and then it's the three dots to be like, breaking the story. Very cool. So that's the moment of dong dong. Yeah, dong dong, exactly. Or like go to commercial break. Donovan vented his hostility by hauling the guy out to the car. Dalrymple made no resistance, but Donovan managed to get mildly rough regardless. <laughs> Dick. Oh, good. Police brutality. Yeah, we love it. Just a little a mildly rough. Just some light police brutality. <laughs> this also... Oh, all right. So this really is a fiction. Yeah, right. This also seemed to make the little intruder happy. <laughs> so we know oh. he's little. He's little, too, and he likes it a little bit rough. He likes it, he likes a, little, it a little rough. Um, as though he took the roughness as a sign that he got under Donovan's skin too, which he had. Oh, I bet he wants to get under that skin. Get real right under there. Right under there. (laughs) He threw a few insults at us while we rode to headquarters, but we held in, knowing if we gave ourselves an inch, we'd take a mile and slug him and have it over with. (laughs) In the interrogation room, we went at him with all the fixings. A strong light in his eyes, cigarette smoke in his face, Donovan with a snarl on his puss. Not, not, not his puss. Not his puss. Yep. That's a, that's the word for face. I can't. Yep. I can't. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Donovan with a snarl, which gets really confusing <laughs> when his wife is asking him for right some attention down yep. there. Well, no, she just says, put yours on mine. Put yours right on mine. (laughs) So, okay. (laughs) Donovan, with a snarl on his puss, said, all right, Buster, let's cut out the jokes. What were you doing in that tavern? Now I'm just picturing a snarling puss saying all of his lines. (laughs) 
Oh no, it's angry. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it snarling? It's snarling. It's mad at you. <laughs> and to which, well, Del if you did your job better, no, it shouldn't be mad. <laughs> to which Del Rimple replied, "Waiting to get anywhere." I said, "Cut out the jokes." You've got my identification. What makes you think I had any other reason for going there? I'll ask the questions. Maybe you don't realize what a spot you're in. This is idiotic. (laughs) 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 This whole procedure emanates from your personal dislike of me. All you have to do is call the company. Oh, shit, he called them out. That's true. What do you know about the Davis killing? Only what I heard in the neighborhood. Intriguing little equation, isn't it? I think we'd realized from the beginning that we had nothing on Dalrymple and that we wouldn't be able to involve him. He'd hit it on the nose when he said our motivation was personal dislike. All right, some accountability. <laughs> Finally, I went out and called the gas company, realizing we had delayed doing this because we knew it would lose Dalrymple for us. When I went back and told Donovan, he still hated to let go. Yeah, I bet he did. He's enjoying this little game with Dalrymple. He's enjoying it. <laughs> He's, he's enjoying sticking his puss in Dalrymple. Uh-huh. You know, he told the sneering little meter reader, we can still throw you in the can. What for? Trespassing, breaking and entering? Oh, yes, but you won't. And why not? Because it would be two small triumphs, and you know you would be acting for spite. It would diminish your stature in your own eyes. Oh, he's he's smart. He's playing some mind games with these dumb cops. Yeah. Donovan was trying to swallow his helpless wrath when I remembered something Dalrymple had said. Listen, punk, exactly where did you come from? That's right. You made some funny cracks. You said, to quote, this is certainly a stupid world you live in, a world of idiots. You also just said, "I've, I've just arrived recently. Now it occurs to me. That I might have come from a place beyond this planet you call Earth? <laughs> Wait, he's an alien? <laughs> I did say Dalrymple sounded like a not particularly human name. It's true. No, that you're a crackpot, a psycho, and maybe we better hold you. He sneered at me and ticked off his replies on his fingers. I did come from a world far away from yours. I'm not a crackpot, not a psycho, and you will not hold me. I looked at Donovan. Donovan looked at me. His voice gentled into a tone of soft contempt. Oh, now he's getting soft. I said, okay, we played rough. I'm going to be a little <laughs> soft with you now, Dalrymple. <laughs> now we can get sensual. Well, you can only stay hard for so long. Correct. <laughs> so Donovan says to Dalrymple, Come from Oh. From Zorbis. And don't bother looking it up. It's a planet in a galaxy beyond the physicality of most brilliant minds. And I use the term brilliant very loosely. Oh, oh, oh shit. <laughs> My little dick. My little dick. I love him. And how did you get here? You couldn't possibly understand if I told you. Your elemental mind. Grasp the mathematical accident that brought me here, nor the ten million to one chance of it ever happening again. Donovan grinned in anticipation. 
And you actually think we aren't going to turn you over to Psycho? Of course you're not. And for what reason will we refrain from such? Because if you do that, you'll never get your stupid little murder solved. <laughs> I found myself poised and ready to pounce. Then you have been holding out. If you mean, do I know who killed the baby? No. If you mean, can I find out? Yes. <laughs> well, well, Donovan growled. He's a detective, too. Dalrymple split a sneer between us. It's nothing but a mathematical problem. In the world I come from, students corresponding to your first grade are started out on polynomial equations. <laughs> so you can just take a pencil and figure it out, eh? Certainly. Dunk, dunk. Yep, another three dunks. <laughs> I've tried to remember since exactly what my reaction to Dalrymple was at that time. Hatred transcended any other emotion I may have had. That's fair. <laughs> but there was something else. Oh, oh, do tell. A feeling of almost personal discomfort springing from the certainty that he wanted us to hate him, or at least didn't care whether or not we did. This was a part of my reaction, and wondering why also. There was an element of vague fear, too, and of this I'm sure. A vague, senseless conviction that this crackpot could do all he claimed he could. I remember that when this last came to my conscious mind, I rejected it with indignation. And I knew Donovan was rejecting something, too. Yeah, he's rejecting those feelings. He said, I don't want to feel this way. <laughs> he turned from Dalrymple with a sneer and said, We haven't got time to fool with psychos. We've got a murder to solve. Kick this guy out and let the white coats find him all over again. I was sneering, too. Everyone is sneering. It's a the, very sneery time period. The puss is sneering. Everyone is sneering. I took out a pencil and threw it at him and said, All right, wise guy, there's one. Let's see what you can do. Have you got a piece of paper? Almost savagely, Donovan ripped a page off the calendar. It was blank on the back. He threw it on the table, and all the time I could see his eyes. They were asking, why the hell am I doing this? I'm trying to cover the question by showing contempt. <laughs> he can't resist. He can't resist. Nope. He's got to keep engaging with Dalrymple. We glanced swiftly at each other, and there was guilt in both our faces, like two realists meeting outside a fortune teller's tent. <laughs> I love that. It's <laughs> a great... That's a really That's great simile. Interesting simile. <laughs> I like it a lot. It's a little mm. nail on the head, but I, I yeah, it no, works. I love it. It's effective. I'm, oh, I'm reading it again because it really that just tickled my fancy. We glanced swiftly at each other, and there was guilt in both our faces, like two realists meeting outside a fortune teller's tent. <laughs> then Dalrymple took over. We had certain facts. He began. A dead man, the person who admits he went through the physical motions of killing him. We also have the method of producing death, poison, and the setting of the crime. I think we've had enough of this clowning, Donovan said in a husky voice. <laughs> he's uh, not clowning, he's literally stating the facts. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he's got a real short fuse. He really, he's been quite methodical. Dalrymple ignored the interruption, not even bothering to sneer at Donovan. <laughs> 
So Dalrymple's the only one not sneering. Right. He said, this isn't even worth a sneer, even though so many of those have been thrown around in the past two minutes. (laughs) As every school child on my planet knows, each of these facts must be given a symbol and must become a part of our exploratory equation. I was a little rusty on such things, but it sounded to me about the same way school children on our planet went about solving problems in algebra. I didn't say anything, though. Dalrymple had the pencil racing over the paper, laying out a series of weird symbols, the like of which I had never seen. They were neither numbers nor letters, nor the kind of geometric or algebra symbols used on Earth, either. Of that, I was sure. The closest I can come is to compare them to Egyptian hieroglyphics, and yet that's far from the mark. But whatever they were, Dalrymple seemed to know exactly what he was doing. After a few minutes, he leaned back and said, There, the exploratory equation is complete. Now, we search it for flaws. Donovan and I had got interested to the point that hostilities were temporarily suspended. (laughs) Donovan asked, search what for which flaws? You haven't the mental scope to understand even the basics of what I'm doing, but maybe you can understand this. There is no such thing as chance in a civilization or a culture which is properly based upon mathematics. In such a civilization, lies and evasions are unheard of, because all action and motivation, past, present, or future, can be evaluated and revealed in complete exactitude. A hundred percent in the movie version of that scene, Del Ripple is cleaning his glasses while he says all of that. A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. Yep. And then it cuts to the the two cops, and they're like drooling with their mouths open, looking at him like, whoa. (laughs) We were trying to follow along. I said, well, we got things like that. Robot brains, we call them. They figure out impossible problems. <laughs> Robot brains? Is this pre-computers? <coughs> is, is that an early computer? Like what year? It's also weird because this this writing, like the word intern had an E at the end of it, like intern. So it's a little like, that spelling, but then I'm also like, I don't know what year this takes place in or what year it was written. <laughs> well, it was written in 56, or at least it was published in 56. Oh, okay. Robot brains. <laughs> Robot brains uh, is the name of a podcast that I'm not going to promote here because. No. <laughs> um, because I'm not. Um, and then I find lots of videos about building robot brains and teaching robots how to think for themselves, which seems like a dangerous thing to try to do in a Asimov kind of way. I mean, we've learned, we've learned nothing from all of the literature and all the Terminator movies. We just, mankind really said we can, but should we? And we keep saying, yeah, we should. Yeah, we totally should. It came to me at that moment how we were taking for granted through our conversation, our statements, and even our thinking that this Dalrymple was exactly what he'd said he was, a man from another world. He said, I know what you refer to, but they are so childishly conceived as to be almost useless. The old sneer again. There's the the sneering. There's the sneer. Donovan growled, you talk a lot, but you haven't proved a damn thing. 
On the contrary, the flaws in this equation stand out by themselves. For instance, our zong is, is implicated, but must obviously be supplemented in order to balance the ter's shading of the exploratory equation. Are, are you kidding? Donovan rasped. I'll forego technical terms and translate into realities you can grasp. It amounts to this. The bartender poured the actual poison into the glass, but all unknowing. However, as a dominant factor of the equation, he must be further developed along the lines of secondary motivation. In other words, a completely unrelated motivation on his part cleared the way for the crime. Dalrymple's fingers were flying. More of the weird symbols were appearing. The motivation for the weight he bears in the case is made up of two characteristics, habit and greed. And where does that get us? I asked. It reveals the fact that the bartender poured the poison into the bottle, but without knowledge that it was poison, nor with malicious intent. Well, that's impossible, I said. Not at all. The whole sequence becomes clear when we strive to complete our equational balance in the first phase. The bartender poured an unconsumed drink back into the bottle after whoever ordered it walked out without drinking it. Of course. The logic of it hit Donovan and me at the same moment. Donovan said, how in the hell did you ever think of that? He meant it as a compliment, but Dalrymple didn't take it as such. I didn't think of it, you fool. I worked it out. Haven't you understood anything I've told you? It's all here in the progression of the equation. Incidentally, that factor is the pivot of the whole sequence. Your stupid logic should carry you on from there. Somebody was trying to poison somebody else, Donovan said. Donovan sounds so stupid now. <laughs> oh God! So, where so the solution to this crime seems to hinge on the idea that the bartender took someone's unconsumed drink off the bar and yeah. poured it back into the bottle to serve other customers. Yep. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. At the very least, he should be arrested for gross. Um, oh. Violation like of health codes. Yep. Violations of uh -huh. health codes. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. Yep. But so that means it went, it was something was going down. Someone else was trying to kill someone else. As, yeah. as Donovan so eloquently just said, somebody was trying to poison somebody else. <laughs> there had to be two men, I added. They came in and ordered drinks. One poured poison in the other's drink. Then they left without... Dalrymple was leering at me. Oh, now he's leering. How about one man and suicide? <laughs> I swore at myself inwardly for giving him the opening, but he turned back to his symbols and said, By sheer blundering chance, you hit it, though. It was two men and attempted murder. Donovan wasn't having much to say. <laughs> Dalrymple threw down the pencil. I'll be going now. I have more important things to do. Can you give us the names of the two men? I asked, and again swore at myself for being overeager. <laughs> you can't let him know that you need him. God, these men are so like proud, and they're like, "Oh, why can't we resist Dalrymple? We don't want to need Dalrymple, but they do." <laughs> well, no, it's it's good. You don't you don't want to appear too needy. That's sure, just sure, good sure. advice in life. Don't be sure. too needy. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it's a very unattractive quality. <laughs> <laughs> Dalrymple gave me a long, disgusted, clinical look. I can, but I won't. It would take another hour. 
dick. <laughs> it would take another hour to round out the equation, and I don't feel like doing all your work for you. If you can't take what I've given you and tie up the case, then you'd both better resign. Oh, oh he's a savage. He got up and started to leave. At the door, I turned. I live at the Crestwood Hotel if you want to get in touch with me again. <laughs> All right. He sneered. Maybe you'll need help someday in tying your shoes. <laughs> he left. Neither Donovan nor I made any attempt to stop him. After a long minute, Donovan said, We can't let him go. He's involved in that killing. He's got to be. How else would he know? Are you sure he's involved? Donovan didn't answer. He picked up the pencil and snapped it in two with a savage gesture. The sneering little son of a... <laughs> Besides, we've got no proof he was right in anything he said. Well, let's go find out. We found out. It didn't take long, and we got a <laughs> citation. <laughs> we hit Garver with one question. Who was in the bar just before Davis entered? And he collapsed right in our laps. We got all he knew, and it wasn't hard to trace down two guys named Kinder and Walpole. They were both drunk when they came in, and Walpole had some arsenic with him that he was going to make a bug spray with. He got sore at Kinder for some drunken reason and poured some of the stuff into his drink while Kinder was in the washroom. Wow, he just on a whim decided, to, like, I'm going to murder this guy. Instead of killing bugs, I'm going to murder this guy. Also, arsenic as bug spray? I guess so. I guess that's a 50s thing. I, all right. You know, some guys just can't hold their arsenic. <laughs> <laughs> Theater nerd. Which um, which one of them is that? Um. Oh, I loved El Lipschitz more than I could possibly say. He was Lipschitz. a sensitive guy, a painter. That one, and then he went out, and got a bunch of other wives. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> So this guy got sore at Kinder for some drunken reason and poured some of the stuff into his drink while Kinder was in the washroom. Then something pulled them back into the street before they had their drinks. Garver heard metal grind and thought that was probably it. Once outside, they probably forgot what tavern they'd been in because they didn't return. <laughs> yeah, these guys are blackout. Garver was glad to get rid of them. He hadn't seen the poison pouring bit and dumped the shots into the bottle. When Davis keeled over as a result of the next shot out of the bottle, Garver was scared. He could lose his job and his boss could have lost his license for serving drunks and for pouring the whiskey back. Yeah, I should say so. <laughs> I right. should say so. So I'm glad we're at least going to address the fact that that's not <laughs> disgusting. Cool. Yeah. So that was the case. Also, if he didn't if he didn't see the 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 poison get poured in, it means he wasn't yeah. paying enough attention to the shots to know yeah. that they were never no portion was ever consumed. So really just very come on. True. Dude. Very unsanitary. Good deductive reasoning, Dan. You like a little doll ripple. <laughs> That's actually what they call me out on the street. That's my yeah. stoolie name. Little doll ripple. It's gotta be Lil, Lil Doll Rimple. Yeah. Yeah. Little doll ripple. That's what the uh <laughs> That's what the police call me when they come track me down to snitch on the um, other, you know, you've kind of got thugs you've kind of got street. dimples in your cheeks too. Yeah, they're there a little bit. That's it. I will no longer be addressing you as Ken. You will now be little Dalrymple. Great. Oh, so with that, it says so. That was the case. A tragic incident. 
with Walpole not even remembering what he'd done, and with Davis dead. Done, done. We would have been, all right, mystery solved. And yet, we would have been better off leaving it there, charging Dalrymple off as a crackpot who had made a lucky guess and taking the credit for breaking the case. We did take the credit, but it was hard to believe once he'd gone. <laughs> but it was hard to believe once he'd gone that Dalrymple was actually for real. So one afternoon, a couple of weeks later, we were passing the Crestwood Hotel. Donovan braked the car and squinted at the building. This is where he said he lived. I knew who Donovan meant. Uh-huh. Let's go up. Why not? <laughs> well, okay. Just gotta poke the bear a they little got, more. They've got to. They're, I'm telling you, they're they're erotically obsessed with Dalrymple. They can't get enough. This, they're really getting a charge from this. <laughs> we yeah, went in. It's the, I can't figure out why I find him so unattractive. Yeah, he's so mean I, he's to me. He's definitely unattractive yeah he's, he's he just belittles me and insults my intelligence and oh i just can't get enough of it for some reason <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've all been there buddies we've all been there <laughs> we went in and got the room number from the clerk and went on up we knocked dalrymple opened the door he hadn't changed a bit there was a sneer on his face of course <laughs> hostility in his voice when he said the police force what happened? Somebody steal your squad car? He turned around before we could answer and went back into the room. We followed him and stood there looking at the layout. He had a big table in the middle of the floor and there was a huge sheet of paper on it. The sheet was almost completely covered with the funny symbols he used in solving the bar poisoning. Or had he solved it? Anyhow, he went back to his work as though we hadn't even come, adding more symbols along one edge. And finally, Donovan asked, what in the hell are you doing? Dalrymple looked up as though annoyed at being disturbed. I'm arranging to stay on your planet. I like it here. But what's all that got to do with staying? I have to have money. The way things are done here, money is totally necessary. How are you going to get it? Dalrymple looked up and his sneer brightened. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Dal <laughs> little bugger. Little cheeky bugger. I'm like, you know what? Go off. Go off, Dalrymple. It sounds great. Right. He earned it. He earned it with this equation. Donovan and I looked at each other in a kind of double take. Then I said, I don't suppose you care to tell us how and where you're going to do the stealing. <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you how. That would be silly. I don't mind telling you where. <laughs> he put down another symbol. All right, where? I'm not quite sure yet. Chicago. <laughs> There we go, Chicago. <laughs> or New York, or Pittsburgh, or... This is the master plan. I'm almost finished. It involves the principles, the method of operation. There is much more to be done, of course. Assistance will have to be approached, analyzed mathematically as to capabilities. H how much money are you thinking of stealing? Mm, I figure I'll need about five million. Probably. <laughs> Donovan and I looked at each other again, and our eyes asked the questions. What should we do about this? Haul the guy in and get laughed at? Or did we have a right to haul him in if we wanted to? Just call him a crackpot and let it go at that? Sure, it was the obvious thing to do, and the easiest. Why stick our necks out? And at that moment, I saw Dalrymple smile ever so slightly, as though he knew exactly what was going on in our minds. 
He had made allowances for it on his damned chart. Donovan shrugged. Let's get away from this creep, he said. We turned and walked out. And we never saw Dalrymple again. In fact, <laughs> I'd practically forgotten about him when a year later, the date was January 17th, 1951, I came uh, back. Right. Oh, there you go. I came back to the squad room late in the afternoon. And there was a paper lying on the desk Donovan and I used. Its headline read, <laughs> Stick up. Wait, <laughs> it's not in his voice. I don't <laughs> know why I read it. Like newspaper. That. It's a headline of a newspaper. Stick right, up, man. So this no, I want to. I want to hear your best uh, uh, Christian Bale from Newsies. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I got to get into the extra, extra. Read all about it. Okay, okay. Its headline read: "Stick up, men get seven million in Boston." Nice. It was good, right? I like it. <laughs> and the story went on to tell of the now famous Brinks holdup in that city. A holdup that had not been solved to this day. A seemingly perfect crime. Still nothing for me to get excited about. Not until I saw the letter that had been lying under the paper. It was addressed to both Donovan and me. The names and destination printed in lead pencil. There was no return address. I tore it open. A white card fell out. On the card was printed two words. Nothing else. The words read, Or Boston. <laughs> This is iconic. This is honestly, to use a Gen Z term, this is icon behavior. We have no choice but to stand, Dalrymple. We stand. We have no choice but to stand. <laughs> oh. So that's where we sit now. Almost seven years ago, that stick-up occurred. For seven years, Donovan and I had waited for the law to crack it so we could quit wondering, so we could tell ourselves that Dalrymple was just another screwball. But the statute of limitations nearly ran out on the Great Briggs robbery. And now we're beginning to wonder if it really was solved. Wondering if we could have stopped it by stopping Dalrymple, the brain behind it all. Wondering if he really was a man from another... Oh, hell, it just couldn't be. Or could it? The end. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. That is such fun. Oh, that what was a, fantastic. Oh, what a cheeky story. What a cheeky little guy. I love it. I loved it. It was so fun. <laughs> oh, thank you, Paul W. Fairman. That was thank great. Thank you so much. That was so great. I just have to, I have to go back and, and re remind the readers. He said, they said, where are you going to, where are you going to plan this robbery? He said, I'm not quite sure yet. Chicago or New York or Pittsburgh or dot, dot, dot. This is the master plan. I've almost finished it. Blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on and on. And then he just sends them a card that says, or Boston. Or Boston. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. Oh, nicely done. Oh, he's he's like that that little greased up old guy and family guy who's like, you never going to catch me. You never going to catch me. I used to be a lawyer. <laughs> Oh God! Wow, that's really fun. I'm uh, I'm really happy that I I knew he was going to be cheeky from the start because of that name, and I gave yep. him that little goblin voice, and it worked out very well because he's a that funny was, little alien. Strong pull, strong pull. 
I just have to go big or go home with the voice. Although I think I did lose the Chicago-Boston rivalry as the story went on, but it's very hard to keep track. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, sort of uh, 1950s big city cop voices, more right. or less, all sound they all the same. they all kind of sound like uh, they all kind of sound like that. <laughs> they all just sort of end up sounding a little Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, oh lordy. That was so fun. Yay. Good read. I like the twists and turns. I would love to know what some of those images looked like. Whoa. His, his hieroglyphics. His, oh, yeah, his yeah, yeah. mathematical yeah. Um, I know. equation. That would be cool. His magic math. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's such a funny little guy. I like the the undercurrent of tension throughout the story that they just can't get enough of this weird little guy and they're just fascinated and they have to keep thinking about him but it infuriates them he's just like <laughs> you dumb humans <laughs> i love it love it so what do you think reader 1950 reader uh, <laughs> so what do you think listener written in or at least published in 1956. Do you think the sexual tension between the cops and Del Rimple was intentional? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or is I'm that a you. 21st century read? <laughs> I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, maybe I just have a dirty mind, but it just all felt so charged. All these men in this room just worked up. <laughs> oh, God, that was fun. All worked up in the sneering puss. Yeah, and sneering at each other with the. I can't believe puss is the word for face. I really can't. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, listener, if you enjoyed that story, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. Um, I personally always love when we get to read these uh these sort of pulp fictions, science fiction, the 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 more contemporary ones. They seem to be. Really fun, very enjoyable. Um, Wait, I have a question for you. I may or may not have an answer. I feel like you will. Well, first, uh, for my money, I think we should do more by this guy because this was so good and so funny. I love him. This was a lot of fun. I will will be looking for more by him. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And you said he, most of his stuff is in public domain, right? Because he doesn't care about copyright, so... Great. Yeah, he's got like like many Pulp Fiction writers, um, especially like many of the Pulp Fiction writers who didn't become uh, famous novelists mm-hmm. on their own outside of the pulp genre. Most of his work um, yeah. just ended up going into public domain and, and he never bothered right. re-upping it. Well, and this is a great segue. What does the pulp genre mean? What does pulp mean in the term pulp? Cool. Um, I did a whole fun facts section about what um. pulp is, uh, but the short version is basically in the late 1800s, um, pulp magazines started getting produced. And basically what a pulp magazine was, was a magazine full of short stories and poems and um, serialized novel chapters and the reason they were called pulps is because they were printed on pulp paper which was a, a cheap kind of paper as opposed oh. to the sort of glossy magazine paper that right. the more expensive magazines were, right. were happening in and yeah that's that's why they're called pulps and that's what it means is it's literally a reference to the cheap paper oh, that they were being printed on 
And so the stories ended up, um, the stories in pulp magazines ended up becoming very like sort of um, the equivalent to sitcoms today. It was right. stories that were being written for um, working class and and people who couldn't afford to go out and buy right. books and go out and buy the fancy expensive magazines. You'd get the cheap one and you'd get a whole right. bunch of stories in it. I was going to say, because um, they used the pulp paper, because this is the equivalent. This is popular cult. This is pop. Like, this is oh, the yeah. for the masses stuff. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and Very cool. they're they are a predecessor to um uh like modern day comic books mm-hmm. yeah in, yeah in that's what i was way. thinking of yeah um because a lot of uh, eventually what you ended up getting were uh pulp fiction stories where the same characters would come up over and over again mm-hmm. so characters like uh flash gordon first appeared in pulp fiction uh zorro first appeared in pulp fiction tarzan first appeared in pulp fiction um in these sort of serialized story settings um and then those led to things like uh those were the hero pulps and then you got characters like the shadow who was a detective who had sort of superpowers when it came to he could like read people's thoughts um and then that ended up leading to eventually the graphic pulp fictions that became the comic books superheroes of today so that's where that comes from but uh b- um but yes uh what was i saying before oh yeah uh shoot us an email and let us know what you thought of that one and what you think of this kind of story uh would you like to hear more pulps would you like to hear more dickens would you like to hear more way 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 older stuff um, I don't remember what the oldest story we've read is, but I don't think it goes much further back than the 1800s. Um, but yeah, let us know. You can shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. 5050artsproduction is the parent company that produces this podcast. You can also find Campfire Classics on all of the social medias. Just look for Campfire Classics or Campfire Classics Podcast and shoot us a message there. And when you send us those emails or or uh, messages on Facebook or Twitter or whatever the new thing kids are using that I don't fully comprehend because I don't get social media, uh, <laughs> please include somewhere in the body of the message or as the subject or whatever you want this week's passphrase, which is sneer on his puss. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, no. Ooh, that's right. Because can't near on his puss. <laughs> it can't. It can't be their word for face. It just can't be. It is. You can also uh, hashtag <laughs> any of your social media posts. Sneer on his puss, or just sneering puss. I think hashtag sneering puss is God. Um, that would be a good. <laughs> your digital footprint is just at this point. <laughs> it's just so upsetting. It's pretty. It's pretty train wrecked out. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I think that's everything on my end. Uh, anything to report before we sign off? No, thank you. This was so fun. I feel, um, awake and alive and energized and ready to start my day at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) Great. Good timing. (laughs) Uh, fabulous. Well, in that case, listener, thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, This has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And maybe we'll meet an alien!
<laughs> if there are aliens out there, I hope they're getting our episodes. Well, yeah, it should, it should really be high on the list of